You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. In his recent article in The Atlantic, the writer author Brooks recounted the story of a man named Abd al Rahman III, who was a ruler of Cordoba, which was 10th century Spain. And Abd al-Rahman III summed up a life of worldly success at the age of 70 by saying and writing this. He said, I have now reigned above 50 years in victory or peace, beloved by my subjects, dreaded by my enemies, and respected by my allies. Riches and honor, power and pleasure have waited on my call. What was the payoff for al-Rahman III? Keep in mind, ruling for 50 years is about 18,250 days of ruling. He said this, I have diligently numbered the amount of days of pure and genuine happiness which have fallen to my lot. They amount to about 14. Mm. Deep, satisfying joy was elusive to Al-Rahman, who according to the standards of the world should have been full of abundant joy. But somehow in in the equation of life, we hit this wall over and over again that wealth plus power plus comfort plus pleasure does not equal joy. Joy is a cornerstone of the Christian faith. It It was the response of the earliest disciples to Jesus and his resurrected body. They rejoiced with joy that was inexpressible. They also were afraid and like doubtful and like what's going on, but they got to see a friend come back from the dead. Can you imagine that kind of joy? We are in this season called living in light of the resurrection, and I want to say that a big part of living in light of the resurrection is living with Christian joy. Pastor Russ preached on living with peace in light of the resurrection last week, and today we want to look at joy. Joy and rejoicing is the command that the Lord has laid on his people for all time. Rejoice. Be full of joy. It is the second fruit of the Spirit. There's love and then there's joy, right? It is the state of being, joy is the state of being that brings many people into the Christian faith, period, myself included. The famous Christian thinker of the 20th century, C.S. Lewis, once wrote his autobiography, and you know what it was called? Surprised by joy. Because it was joy that led him into the kingdom of God. When I was 20, it was joy that brought me to Jesus. Specifically, it was the joy of a group of Christians that I came to know that in that season of my life, a season of darkness and despair and hopelessness, I came to the joy and light of coming home to Jesus. I was converted at my brother's wedding ceremony. And that weekend, I busted into my parents' hotel room out of the blue, and I said, I'm supposed to be a pastor. And they looked at me like deer in a headlight and said, well, okay. (laughs) Let's just say that it was a contrast to the season of life that had come before. I was so full of joy in those early days with Jesus that I felt the burden on my life and the calling on my life was to continually, for the rest of my life, lead people into that place of joy that I had found, to drink from that well, to feast from that table. Some of you in this room have that same story. I know it. It was joy that got you here. 
Some of you are in this room and you don't know exactly why. You definitely don't believe in a crucified and, and risen man ascended to heaven. But you know that there's joy here. And you're compelled to be here because of it. And I'm grateful to the Lord that in many ways this is exactly what I get to do every Sunday in my life still. Which is lead people into the joyful presence of God in the sanctuary. And yet, and yet both due to my own sin and due to some measure of our formation as American Christians, I have found joy to be elusive. Joy is difficult to maintain, isn't it, in the grind of life. There's bills, there's the losses, there's the tragedies, the waiting, the pandemics, the plumbers who must charge thousands of dollars to repair pipes in my house this week, the conflicts, the violence, the racism, the inequality, the callousness and cruelty, the lying, the cheating, our own failures, our own shame, what's been done to us, confusions, questions, doubts. How can we be a people who grasp and claim joy amidst those kind of circumstances? We have a profound lack of joy in our cultural moment right now. It isn't to say that we don't have pleasures, that we don't have entertainment and copious amounts of distraction to make us laugh. But it is to say that we have an undercurrent of gnawing dissatisfaction and despair that runs underneath the airbrush filtered picture of life that our advertisers and social media feeds give us. Persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness increased, the CDC found, 40% among high schoolers between 2009, this is before the pandemic, to 2019. Students who say they feel persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness rose from 26% of students to 44%, according to a new CDC uh, study. That's the highest level ever recorded. Many other metrics are showing us the same thing. We have a downward trend in mental health and joy in our society. We have a lot of anger right now. I was made aware by Melissa the other day of a new store in D.C. called Outrage, where you can buy all manner of clothing and stickers and et cetera to let people know what exactly it is you are outraged about. I like that. <laughs> Honestly, we, like Al-Rahman III, have many things at our beck and call. We have powers and pleasures and wealth, and, and yet when we number our days we find that our days of joy often pale in comparison to our days of complaint, anger, depression, anxiety, and despair. And yet still, this call and this famous verse rings out over us today. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The journey of the Christian life and the Christian faith is a journey into joy, period. Greater joy, period. That does not mean it's a, it's a journey into material abundance. That does not mean it's a journey into power and influence and pleasure and comfort. It is a journey into joy. Joy is what awaits us, and also joy is what is all around us, ready to be grasped at any moment. It is a matter of how we cultivate and practice it in the present moment of our life amidst the beauty and the pain. So I want to explore today joy by asking four questions. My children in this room will remember the great interrogative questions of the English language, right? Who, what, when, where, why, right? We're going to tackle four of those today. I want to try to answer what is joy? Why is it elusive? Where can it be found? 
and how can it be practiced? Any of my note takers out there, you're happy because I'm giving you some clear questions, all right? Let's see if I can give you some clear answers. All right, what is joy? I choose this passage from Philippians today because, of course, the famous verse, rejoice in the Lord always. But Philippians is the epistle, the letter of joy, even though it's written while Paul is in prison. I want you to keep that in mind. Joy or rejoice appears 14 times in the little book of Philippians. That's significant. If you combine all the rest of Paul's letters in one, they only, it only appears about 30 times in the whole rest of his letters. And here, 14 times. Right at the beginning of Philippians, he said, every time I pray for you, I pray with joy. And he's talking about his sufferings many times throughout the letters, and he said, I will rejoice. I will rejoice. He says it continually, even in the midst of his fears, his anxieties, his sufferings, Paul is claiming joy and asking the Philippians to do the same because joy has got to be claimed. Paul, of course, is a Jewish man built upon the heritage of the Jewish people and the Jewish scriptures which I could go to the book of Psalms and I could spend 50 minutes with you today just going through the commands to rejoice in the aspects of joy. But let's review some a little bit, right? Psalm 101, make a joyful noise to, God, to the Lord all the earth. Psalm 43, 4, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Psalm 47.1, clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Psalm 44, verse 7, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. And one of my favorites, Psalm 16.11, our word of assurance today. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. But not only do humans rejoice and are commanded to rejoice, guess what? All of the objects around us, animate and inanimate, animals, things, fields, trees, the Bible also says that they are rejoicing to God. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. We often think when we have that beautiful moment in a landscape or watching an animal that it's just wonder. But actually what it is is animals express joy to God. Currently I'm raising chickens and ducks and I, and I just sometimes watch them. We, we, have, we lost one duck this week, very sadly. But when I watch the ducks in the pond and just watch them do their thing, there's no exact reason why animals do the things they do. A lot of times they are just having fun. A lot of times they are just praising God, says the scriptures. One time I was on a day cruise in Alaska in the middle of the Gulf of Alaska and got surrounded by a school of breaching humpback whales. It just popped out of the water, one after the other, all around us, splashing us. And the guide said, yeah, this is crazy. But he was like, we don't exactly know at all why they do that. We think they're just playing. (laughs) See, everything around us is leading us to a song of joy. And in our... Old Testament reading today, which we'll get into a little bit, the joy of the Lord is your strength, right? But what is it? What is joy? 
One book that's been really helpful for me this, this week is called, uh, it's a book by Jim Wilder, Michael Hendricks. I'm not going to bore you with it, but it's about neuroscience and Christian formation. Some of you just fell asleep, but that's all right. That's all right. If you're into that, go read it. They talk a lot about joy, and, and this is a really helpful thing I want to impart to you. This is what they say. It's important to remember that joy is not strictly an emotion. We might refer to it as a supra-emotion. Something that rises above emotions because it can go on top of and connect to other emotions. I want to make sure y'all get that. Joy is a supra-emotion that can go on top of and connect to other emotions. For example, he says, if I lose my job, this is usually not considered a joyful occasion. Instead, I'm probably feeling some combination of sadness, fear, and anger, right? However, when I experience these unpleasant emotions and can simultaneously feel that God is with me, I have added joy to the mix. And if I have close friends who are happy to be with me in my loss, my joy magnifies even more. You see that? Now, he says, I'm feeling sad and joyful, fearful and joyful, angry and joyful. Joy does not replace unpleasant emotions. I need you to hear that. I need somebody to hear that. Joy does not replace unpleasant emotion. Instead, it combines with my emotions to keep me relationally connected while I am in distress. Joy is a state of being when we experience our connectedness to a good and living God. That's what I want you to write down for real, for real. Joy is a state of being when we experience our connectedness to a good and living Lord. Joy is experiencing the face of a good God the presence of a good God in the present of our lives, whatever we are going through. Joy is being connected to that reality that is above and beyond our circumstances and yet with us in our circumstances. Hear this. The opposite of joy is not sadness or grief. The opposite of joy is isolation and being left alone. That experience, more than anything else, is the greatest thief of joy in our life. We were made to experience the presence of the Lord in your presence is fullness of joy. When the Hebrew scriptures say presence, I need you to know that literally in the Hebrew, it's obscured in English because presence is a very uh, ethereal term. The term in Hebrew, panim, is before the face of. It's a physical and visceral, uh, visceral word. It means in your presence, meaning when I sit before your face, I have fullness of joy. Joy, as a, as a word in Scripture, is deeply related to being glad. I don't want to take that out of there. But the way that we hear that concept of gladness just does not give it enough complexity. How else could we rejoice in our suffering? It's not like we're saying, oh, good, hit me one more time. Woo, this is great. Kick me while I'm down again. No. But it's knowing that God is with me in that suffering, right? Joy is so multifaceted. It's that moment when I'm feasting around the table with my beloved friends, right, and my family. Joy is that moment of, of watching animals, of being in creation. Joy is that moment of listening to good music. What's that joyous moment for you? And yet joy is also that deep and bittersweet moment when I sit up and stand up at a funeral service and I say, he will wipe every tear away. Now that statement doesn't take away the sadness and grief and lament in the room, but it attaches joy to that situation. It says that God is with us. And that is why, friends, this verse can make sense. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Pantote, always, at all times, on all days. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. That does not mean express the emotion of happiness always, right? (laughs) The same Paul who wrote that has talked in this letter about his own anxieties for the Philippians. Do you know that? He, he, earlier in the letter, he wrote that he's hoping to send somebody to them because he's anxious when he thinks about them. And yet, rejoice in the Lord always. He's, he's, he's claiming that for himself. And, and the command to do it, so frequent in the scriptures, is an indication that joy itself is elusive for us. We got to be called to it over and over again. So that was what is joy, the state of being and when we experience our connection to the living and good Lord. Now, why is it elusive? Why is it elusive? The most obvious and surface level answer to that question is because of our circumstances. Because things come into our path that are crazy hard. Or even if they're not crazy hard, for some reason we experience them to be crazy hard and they steal our joy. We get beat down by the circumstances of our life. Our our sufferings and our trials end up making us feel disconnected from the Lord and from one another. When we go through hard things, we have big emotions that arise up in us. We have fear, we have sadness, we have anger, we have shame, maybe we have disgust. This This is what the neuroscientists talk about, the major six emotions, right? And what we haven't learned to do often and what we have a real struggle with is connecting those big emotions to joy itself, making the connection between what we experience and the God who is with us. So when we tend to get beat up, we start saying things like, oh, I'm the only one who suffers like this. We say things like, oh, gosh, I'm worthless. My life is meaningless. I deserve to be left alone. We isolate ourselves from God, from joy, and from community. So at the, biggest, the biggest reason is joy is elusive because of our circumstances and how we navigate them. Also in our text today, we see that joy is elusive because of unresolved conflict in our life. Unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict can also rob us of our joy by disconnecting us from one another and from our mutual connection in the Lord. You see that in our passage today in this remarkable verse. This is pretty unusual in Paul. He says, I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche. By the way, I'm I'm hoping to see an Eodia or a little Syntyche running around this church sometime. Y'all like these biblical names? Come on. All right. I entreat them to agree in the Lord. And then Paul asks the rest of the community to come around these sisters who are dealing with this conflict to come help them resolve and restore joy and peace in the community. Some people have read this text and and read Paul going after a a couple of cantankerous old ladies. But that's not an appropriate reading of the text because if you know the, the history of the Philippian church, you will know that women are the cornerstone of that church. Acts 16, go there. You'll find Lydia. You'll find the the woman who was a slave who gets converted and causes this whole uproar. And you'll find uh, all these other core women who who are key stakeholders and supporters and financers of that Christian community. So Paul is not calling out some cantankerous old ladies. 
he is calling out a substantive division within church leadership, which happens. He's calling them out. And one commentator says that this direct confrontation tells us how close Paul felt to the church. In the verse before this, he calls the Philippians his joy and his crown. Uh, the commentator said, Paul can't take risks of this sort unless there is a thick cushion of love and trust to absorb the impact of that rebuke. So, in the midst of that trust and in that love, Paul caused the whole community to restore these two women to each other. So often in community, we can minimize conflict. We can run from it. We don't meet it head on because everyone's kind of nervous to touch it. And they're like, well, that's not my business. But Paul is saying, nah, if you are part of the body of Christ, it is your business. When brothers and sisters are at odds with one another and you're compromising the joy of community. So I got to ask you, what conflicts are you running from? What conflicts you got to confront? What else makes joy elusive in our life? Our own sin. <laughs> sin, as many have said throughout life, sin clouds our view of the face of God. Sin doesn't make God withdraw from us, but it clouds our view of that face and presence of God because sin makes us want to hide from God. Go to Genesis chapter 3. First sin happens, boom, hiding, shame, hiding from the Lord. Pastor Russ, I was talking to him about my sermon this week, and as usual, he's just giving me great one-liners, so i got to credit him, where he said, high degrees of joy don't go together with low degrees of obedience. Woo! Come on, somebody. High degrees of joy do not correlate with low degrees of obedience. Jesus said, if you want to abide in my love, abide in my commandments. Because that's when you will experience the fullness of my face. David prayed in Psalm 51, created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. And then what did he say? Restore to me the joy of my salvation. In a moment of deep failure and shame for David. David is saying to God, I know I have sinned. I need you to restore to me the joy of my salvation. I pray that prayer so often. David says, let the bones that you have broken rejoice, right? St. Ignatius had a simple, profound category for evaluating the actions and the thoughts in our lives. And it was a category of consolation and desolation. Meaning, does my actions and my thought in this moment console me and bring me a sense of being closer to the presence of God? Or does it drive me away from that sense? What is bringing desolation in your life right now? What are you running to that is sinful that you think is going to bring you joy but is actually robbing you of joy because joy is in the presence of God? And as we sin, we are, we are removing ourselves from that sense of God's presence. You know what else makes joy elusive? Anxiety. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Anxiety ultimately makes us question whether we are safe, period. Whether we are going to be okay. Whether it is going to be okay. Now, fear as an emotion has a place in our life, right? It protects us from harm. I wish my little son had more fear instead of running into streets. 
uh, walking into roads. And, and it takes us out of da- dangerous situations. But anxiety is different. Anxiety is this gnawing physical, spiritual, neurological reality that continually engages our fear, our, our flight, our fl- fight or freeze instincts, right? If the opposite of joy is isolation, it's no surprise that anxiety is a thief of joy. Because anxiety makes us feel alone, makes us feel like we have to fend for ourselves, makes makes us ask, am I going to be okay? What do people think about me in this situation? That's why I can't come into a group of people and be myself, because, oh, Lord, what will they think about me, right? I can only speak to this because I know it so well. Anxiety takes us out of the present moment. It takes us out of what's right in front of us. And it takes our mind to the uncertain future ahead of us. Do you see that? It's about what's going to happen to me. We've stopped living in the moment. And to stop living in the present is to stop living in the presence. What else makes joy elusive? Toxic shame. There is a difference between the, the godly sorrow and guilt and shame that David felt in Psalm 51 and the feeling of toxic shame. Toxic shame is this, I am condemned. I am alone. Not only that, I don't deserve joy. How could I? I'm so messed up. Surely God doesn't want to be with me and give me his joy, so I need to punish myself. Friends, we have to have permission to express joy. I love our Old Testament reading today because the people of Israel, as Erwin beautifully talked about, come to this moment where they hear the law read again. It hasn't been read for a long time. And they realize, oh, Lord, we haven't, been, we haven't even been close to keeping the law. And they sat in God's presence full of shame. And I love in that moment that Ezra says to them, do not weep. Stop your mourning. This is a holy day. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. Some of you have found yourself spiritually stagnant for a long time because you won't stop beating yourself up and you won't forgive yourself. You have to take the Lord at his word that his joy is your strength. Do you want to grow in the Lord? Do you want to grow in grace? Then you got to know that God is for you. God is not back there saying, all right, get it together and then we'll talk. God is saying, nah, you need my kindness. You need my joy in your life. That is what will transform you. Joy might also be elusive to us because we're neglecting community. We're neglecting ourselves of the rhythms of Christian community, not just in the sanctuary, but in meals and in gatherings and in FaceTime with real people. In her book, uh, The Gravity of Joy, which is a wonderful book, Uh, The pastor and theologian Angela Williams-Gorell said, Joy, like other emotions, longs to be shared. This requires support. Not only do we need permission to be honest about emotions like sadness, anger, and fear, we need permission to be joy-filled. And we need this permission from other people and from ourselves. We need other people to help us recall and recognize and reflect on the good. That is part of the people of God worshiping every Sunday that we would remind each other why we have a reason to rejoice, why we have a reason to give thanks. And lastly, of this long list of why joy might be elusive, is idolatry. We are looking for joy in all the wrong places. We have dedicated our lives to things that do not actually bring us joy. 
we are told to keep climbing ladders of upward mobility. And finally, when we get to that next rung, that next shining thing, that next promotion, that next object, that next car, that next whatever that we possess, that shining thing, that it will finally give us joy. My friends, that is an illusion. And our society lives off constant illusions of joy. We are like carrots on a string with rabbits. Chase this and you'll finally have joy. And then when we finally get the thing, we actually hate the thing within five minutes. And we're ready to throw it away. And why we despise the things we actually get is that we realize they aren't what they promised to be and what we thought that they were. So those are some of the reasons why joy is elusive. Our own circumstances, unresolved conflict, sin, anxiety, toxic shame, neglecting community, idolatry. So what is joy? Joy is a state of being when we experience our connectedness to the living God and we explore why it's elusive, what steals our joy. But then where are we to find joy? Where are we to find it? Y'all ain't going to be surprised by this. It's not a trick question. It's right there in the verse. Rejoice where? In the Lord. Rejoice where? In the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Paul does not just say, all right, give thanks, rejoice, be happy, uh, you know, be grateful, see what you've got, it's good, it could be worse, get a positive attitude on. No, Paul says rejoice in the Lord. That is like spatial language, right? You are in the house of the Lord, you are in the Lord, so rejoice there. Paul says don't rejoice in your safety, your prosperity, your family, don't rejoice in your body. Not that any of those things are bad, it's just they can't be the foundation and sustainment of your joy. Your safety can be compromised. Your prosperity can be erased or stolen. Your family might be taken away from you or break apart. Your body is getting older by the day, saints, (laughs) and it's going to break down. But the Lord, your Lord is a sure foundation for joy because he doesn't change. You can place all your joy chips on his table and it's not a gamble. You're not risking anything because he's faithful, because he's full of goodness and love for you. And that is the secret of joy. It's the presence of the Lord. The scripture says that he's the founder and perfecter of our faith, meaning he wrote the beginning of your story and he's writing the end. You are not the captain of your fate. Your story is written in his book of life, as our text says today. He's in control, not you. That's why you can rejoice. Because Jesus is the one who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy that was set before Jesus when he endured the cross? It's multifaceted, just like joy. I think it was the joy of the resurrection. I think it was the joy of overcoming the curse of sin and death that he had seen mar his creation throughout all time. I think that that was going to bring him joy, to be risen to new life. I think it was the joy of returning back to the presence of the loving father that he had left in the presence of heaven as the resurrected son. Jesus was always spending time right before the face of God. That's how he nurtured his joy. It was for the joy of returning back to the Father that he endured the cross. But not only that, friends, the joy that was set before Jesus as he endured the cross was your eternal joy. 
because the heart of Jesus is a heart of joy. And if you are at all drawn into the Christian faith to be here, propelled by some sense you don't know, some sense you don't have, some magic beyond your comprehension, what you are experiencing is the joy of Jesus. Because Jesus at his heart is the heart of joy. And the heart of joy is found in the heart of Jesus. He was the one who said to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed, he said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Then this is what he says. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the worst of the worst. Death of all deaths, torture of all torture, injustice of all injustice, loss of all loss, to bring us the best of his joy. For the joy that was set before him, he endured, and for the joy that is set before us, we can endure. That is how we can find the path to rejoicing. Paul started this passage by saying, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is that whatever situation finds us out here, we have a higher citizenship. Jesus said, be in the world, but not of the world. What did he mean? He, mean, he meant you have an identity. You have a place. You have a situation. You have a position that is beyond your circumstances, kept in heaven for you. That is a sure foundation of joy. So we find joy chiefly in the Lord. We also find joy in the family of faith that the Lord has put us in. And we so often take that for granted, don't we? Paul calls the Philippians his joy and his crown. I think most of us have been, uh, that have been a part of this church for a while have probably taken for granted the joy that we have here in each other's faces. It is a joy that so many in the world long for. That kind of joy that you know that if you go into a place of suffering, you got a family that's got your back. That you fall, if you fall into material deprivation, you have a people who will take care of you. If you are betrayed and your house burns down and you're left alone, you are not alone. And that is the joy of the church. For as many problems as there are in this church and in any other church you want to go find, I need to call your mind back that we are each other's joy. That we are each other's crown in the Lord. We find joy in the church. We find joy in prayer. Because prayer is drawing near to the face of God. That is where we find it. In the place of prayer. We find joy where else? In the present moment of our lives. If anxiety takes us out of the present moment, then the practice of joy is to place us back in the present it is releasing those anxieties of what's going to happen, what do people think about me, and being able to observe what's right in front of us. And when we do, we see things like leaves blowing in the wind. We see things like the person across the table from us in all of their glory, and we rejoice in them. We are so often robbed of joy in our life through our worries, aren't we? Jesus tells us, why are you afraid? <laughs> God closed the, the flowers of the grass. God feeds the birds of the air. Sufficient for each day is its own troubles. Don't worry about tomorrow. A prayer I often pray is this one that I was taught. 
ever-present God, here with me now. Help me to be here with you. Where else do we find joy? We find joy in the true, the good, and the beautiful. That's where Paul goes. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've received and learned and heard from me, put these things into practice. What are these things? It is praising what is good. It is giving thanks for what is good. We so often operate in this life with, with a negative filter, don't we? If you've ever used Instagram, you know you take your picture and you start swiping your thumb to make the picture uh, look exactly how you want it to look. We often do that as we look out at life. And the only thing we can see when we choose our filter is what is wrong in the world. <laughs> what is bringing pain? What is bringing injustice? What is not worthy of praise? What is lying? What is cheating? And, and this reminds me of that outrage store. We just want to operate through life by what, how, how we are angry and how we have been wronged. But Paul is saying, you are robbing yourself of joy. And you are not telling the whole truth about God's world. On one, in one breath, you're saying, yes, God is good. On the other hand, you are constantly operating in life as if God and his world are not good. That God is not in control. That God is not healing all things. So we need a better filter for life. We need a more complex filter of joy. So we've explored what is joy, why it's elusive, and where it can be found. Now, how do we practice joy? Joy, in one sense, is a gift. It visits us. It's a grace from God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. But we can also be ready for it, too. We can also cultivate it, too. Chiefly, how do you practice joy? You respond to the call. There is a call that has gone over the people of God throughout all time, and it has, it has even come into this sanctuary today, and that is the call to rejoice. I think it was Descartes that had this whole phrase, faith-seeking understanding, right? I, I have faith in God, but I don't exactly understand why. Well, I want to say that joy in the scriptures is joy-seeking understanding. We are called to come into the practice of joy, to give ourselves over to it, even when we can't understand why we should be joyful, even when we don't think it's, quote, authentic for me to be joyful. I need you to understand that the word authentic does not appear in the Bible. It may be a chief value of you and in modern life, but it's not in the scriptures. The Bible says, shout with loud songs of joy. And it's true, as we have often said, that half of the book of Psalms are Psalms of lament. The Bible gives space for lament. I need you to hear that. But the Bible wants you to work the muscle of joy. I recently joined a new gym. I left CrossFit. We can talk about it. But I joined Melissa's gym, which is a hot yoga studio. So I basically went the polar opposite of CrossFit. And I'm in a class called Dripped the other day. <laughs> I look so silly in these classes. And, I, and I'm doing this lunge exercise, but I'm kind of half, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying very hard. Let's just say that. And the coach comes over to me, and literally she puts her hand under my heel and hoists it up. And I'm like, oh! <laughs> That's kind of like the command to rejoice. You got a muscle you need to work. <laughs> And, and, and some of us have a disposition of joy, let's just say that. Some of us have might, what we might call the gift of a joyful disposition. But all of us are called to it. No one's free from it. And you can't just say, well, that's just my personality, right? 
No, 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 no. The call to rejoice is the call to come into the presence of God. That's what we need. And some of us need to learn how to imitate joyful people. And you know what? If you think that that's inauthentic, you got to see all over the New Testament, there's this paradigm of imitate. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate who? Jesus, right? Imitation is a great model of discipleship and formation. It has been transformative in my life. I remember when I first got to, to seminary, I became part of a, a church. I would go to a PCA church in the morning, and then right after lunch, I would go to this storefront Pentecostal church called Peace Tabernacle Church, which, which was a church that had materially a lot less than me, but they were abundant in joy compared to my life. And I had to learn, and I have learned, and I would say broadly from the black church tradition and heritage in general, is how to rejoice in the midst of the challenges of life. When you think of the black church tradition, you think of a people in general who have suffered so greatly, so unjustly, and yet have claimed joy in the midst of it. And that is why the black church witness is still the most powerful Christian witness in our culture today. That's why people give the black church a hearing in the public sphere, because of the integrity of suffering and joy. Elder Evan went into uh, Pastor Russ's office recently, and, and Pastor Russ said, How you doing, Elder Evan? And Evan said, Oh, I'm good. The Lord blesses everyone. It's just some of us notice. Mm. The call to joy is to notice. <laughs> How do we practice joy? We have to learn to integrate our big emotions with joy, right? When circumstances come into our life and bring about fear, sadness, shame, anger, we have to learn to integrate the Lord's joyful presence in the midst of that. And a big part of that is just naming what emotions are going on. So if you need to get into some therapy, if you need to have some vulnerable conversations, it is spiritually beneficial for you to be able to name emotionally what's going on with you. All right? How else can we practice it is to pray with gratitude and supplication. Paul doesn't just say, go pray. Paul says, make your requests known with supplication and thanksgiving. In the place of prayer, we are called to bring into God how we are thankful to him and what we need from him. That puts our heart in a posture of joy and gratitude. Say, Lord, thank you. And a lot of times when I get up here and lead prayers, I'm just like, Lord, thanks for, for putting breath in my lungs this morning. It's a simple thing, but I, it wasn't guaranteed. We have to learn how to give thanks for even the simple things of our life. How else can we practice joy? Serving others. One of the thieves of joy is self-absorption. Modern life trains us to be navel gazers. What we need, what rights we haven't gotten, what comforts we haven't gotten, what's been done to us. Early on in the book of Philippians, Paul said, Have this mind among you which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was equal with God, did not count his equality a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself. We will find such profound joy in our life if we will serve other people, if we will put their needs before our own. That is part of the joyful path of the Christian life is working with Jesus and experiencing the fruitfulness of his kingdom there. How else can we practice joy? We can pursue the good and the beautiful. Paul asked the Philippians to think and practice those things, pursuing the good and the beautiful things, resisting pure cynicism, resisting dehumanization, resisting ingratitude. When we choose to negative filter, we are lying on the presence of God. 
How else can we practice it? And this is a big one. We have to create opportunities for joy through the ministry of hospitality. We need to create opportunities in our church life and in our home life that just get people around a table, <laughs> enjoying each other's presence. Never underestimate what it'll mean to gather people around a table, to establish rhythms of hospitality. Put a rhythm on your calendar and commit to a regular one where you're going to have people. You're going to go eat with people. You're going to be with people. And watch the Lord work in your heart in the midst of it. Finally, how do we practice it? We practice the present moment. We pay attention. Get off your screens. Go for a walk. Go walk around the neighborhood and just start looking at things and either praising God or praying to God as you encounter your neighbors. And also watch how it changes your life. Watch how the Lord will fill you with his joy. As I close, this recently, Tish Harrison Warren had uh, an op-ed in the New York Times. And it was like written for me and for this sermon, amen, because it was said, how to cultivate joy when it's in short uh, supply. And this is what she said. For Christians, joy has deep roots. It springs from the hope that Jesus is risen and is making all things new. Easter tide is a season of joy, not because we insist that the glass is half full, but because Jesus himself, the Bible says in Ephesians, fills everything in every way. That means that death is real, but there's something greater than death. Injustice is real, but it's not the end of the story. Heartbreak is real, but it gives way to redemption. Suffering is real, but it cannot erase beauty. Friends, living in light of the resurrection means living with joy. The journey of the Christian life and following Jesus is a journey into greater joy because it's a journey deeper and deeper into the heart of Jesus, which is a heart of joy for you. Greater joy until we see him like he is in glory, when our faith is turned to sight, when shame shall be burned away like dross, when all of our longings in this life, all of our waitings and our loves will finally find their true source of satisfac satisfaction, the joy of the Lord's face. And as we participate now in the feast of the Lord, we receive his joy around the table in his presence, which we will do one day at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen? So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.